Hey everyone, welcome back to the Saxa podcast, the first five years. I'm one of your hosts, Agassi Rodriguez at Clemson University. Hi everyone, Eric Aguiar coming at you live, but not really live because you're listening to this after we record it from the University of Florida. Agassi, as always, how you doing friend? How you holding up? We're good. We are, we're coming at you live. Uh, we're coming at you live. We are alive. We're doing well. We're holding in there, uh, straddling the line between uh, surviving and uh, thriving at times, um, but tends to be in the surviving area. Uh, okay, a bit more yeah, nowadays. we're leaning on that side a little more. I understand. I that is my new fence. favorite phrase. I hate to be the the person that's like, I'm surviving, not thriving, but I am. Are we sir? I did see on Twitter recently, you know, shout out to Twitter, we love you, uh, Sir Thriving. Have you heard of that? Someone said, uh, uh, I would describe, my, I would just, Sir Thriving. Sir um, Thriving. And no, they are not a knight of the round table. They are Sir <laughs> Thriving. It's a combination. <laughs> would it be ma'am thriving? What are, <laughs> what are the Why are we, we don't need to gender it. Sir Thriving. Here we go. There you go. I... It's one word. Actually, if I can, I would say that I am Sir Thriving today because last week I was unwell. Not doing okay. This week, I feel less unwell, but not well. Less unwell, which would be yes. just well, maybe. But anywho, <laughs> welcome, folks, to the first five years. We're so happy to have you back. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. So, as always, we always try to introduce a challenge word for our episodes, uh, or I introduce a challenge word uh, that Erica has to integrate as a part of our conversation throughout the podcast. So, she has all 40, 45, 50 plus okay, minutes, yes. however long the episode is. I feel like you're just rubbing it in that I missed it the last two episodes. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to say, Erica has not done it the last two episodes. So I'm going to give her her second redemption shot, her third try. No, but you do, you do, because I just, I want to see you succeed, Erica. I'm here okay. to make sure that you succeed. So for this week's episode, once again, coming right back at you is Gord in honor of fall. Erica, at some point, it's going to hit winter. We're going to have to drop it. <laughs> Winter is coming. That is a fact. But Erica, I want you to redeem yourself. So you have Gord. Okay? Okay. If you've been listening to the last couple of episodes, you know this is the third time that Erica gets this word. Um, hopefully, this is the time she gets the word in this episode. But uh, I believe in you. As always, I believe in you. Your confidence is inspiring. We'll oh, see what happens. Thank you. thank you. So everyone, minus this word conundrum that I seem to be in. We're happy to bring you another episode talking about what matters most in student affairs for our new professionals, our graduate students, our undergrads. And I think hopefully we say this, or we are hopeful that there are some VPSAs listening and who are just like, wow, look at them. Wow, Maybe. look at them. Wow, look at them. That's exactly what I want a VPSA to say. Wow, look <laughs> and at nothing that. else. <laughs> no, nothing else. If you're VPSA listening, please send us an email saying, wow, look at them. So oh, on this podcast, we hope to provide some timely information based off of the calendar year and as always providing a public voice for graduate students and new professionals in student affairs and higher education. One of those new professionals is our guest today, Lauren Moo. Lauren serves as the Assistant Director of Care Management in the Office of Housing and Residential Experience at Vanderbilt University. Previously, Lauren worked in Vanderbilt's Office of Active Citizenship and Service, partnering with local and international organizations to build a suite of tri-continental global service learning programs. Within higher ed, Lauren's work focuses on understanding and responding to individual and community need, 
where she draws upon her previous experience within the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors in Hyderabad, India, and New York City. Lauren holds a graduate degree in higher and post-secondary education from Teachers College of Columbia University and did her undergrad work at Furman. Welcome, Lauren. Woo -hoo -hoo. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Good to be here. You have such a cool, like, resume. <laughs> I know we've talked about it, but I read it. I was like, wow. Well, and I was just I, thinking about what you said about the first five years. So I feel like I have kind of aged out of that a little bit, maybe. But I hope I'm still relevant to you. Are you are definitely still relevant? Hello, you're on this podcast, which is going to make <laughs> even more relevant. Just you watch the fans roll through. Just going to watch all the fans roll through. Yes. <laughs> well, we're so excited to have you today, Lauren, to talk about kind of your work in student care and how that's been affected by. Um, the global pandemic and sort of where you see it going and, and how you are doing. And we're, we're just thrilled to have you today. So thrilled to be here. But before we get into it, it's actually a really hard question for me to ask today because I ate a big lunch and I'm very full, but what is the best thing you ate this week? Um, the best thing I ate was last night um, and it was like half a bucket of queso because queso is my love language. It's yes. Like Fix one basically, and um, my husband and I just—it was a rough day, and he was like, "You know what? We need tonight El Fuego." So, don't know if I'm supposed to shout out restaurants, but El Fuego is best in Nashville. So, and their queso was magical. So, yeah, I basically eat that by myself. I get a large, and then he's allowed to have like two spoonfuls, and then I get the rest. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I think that's perfect. I also love that you described it as a bucket of queso. Mm -hmm. Because it is, it's, you know, like the large, it, where they give different, they have different sizes or whatever, yes. but you got to go with the large and it's essentially a bucket. I also love that you communicate your needs to your partner, right? Hi, um, <laughs> this is mine. And right. here is just the sliver that you may have. And that's right. the understanding that you've determined. All right, we're gonna Healthy measure. boundaries. Healthy exactly. boundaries. You get one, <laughs> one drop. You know, I feel very similar about queso as I feel as I do about hummus at times where it's less about what you're using to dip into the, the dipping, like the hummus or the queso. It's more about how do I get this into my, into me? Like, I just want the queso <laughs> into me without using a spoon. So we're going to use this chip as a vehicle, but the, the main star is the queso um, in that scenario. hundred percent. And you have to get the chip that's like the curled chip. You can't do the flat chip. No, I need it to hold like a bucket. A scoop, exactly. Yes, Bucket. a scoop. Bucket, yeah. I love that we're getting very specific about what kind of chips <laughs> work the best <laughs> for these situations. Well, you need a, you need a, a weight-bearing chip, too. You don't want that thing breaking. <laughs> weight-bearing chip, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the architectural, uh, the architectural uh, integrity. Like, integrity of a chip is very important in this situation. Oh, uh, yes. So, so for my... Uh, for my uh, meal, uh, our producer Masarat actually sent me this recipe. Uh, but for my meal, I made chicken and rice soup with a quote garlicky chili oil, which was absolutely hands down one of the best things I've ever cooked. I love it so much. I was so surprised by how good it came out. I texted Miles some pictures because I was the proud of my creation, um, and he did send me the recipe, which I also forwarded to you, Erica. I, feel like I was going to say, is this from the Bon Appetit list? <laughs> it is from the Bon Appetit list, and I knew you were making it face. I did forward it to you. My goal is to make multiple soups off that list, uh, but I did start with the chicken and rice soup. Very good. Have leftovers. That chili oil, 
amazing and can be used in so many things. Yeah. I don't like chili oil, 4K spicy, but I am glad that you enjoyed that. Um, I, so this is like kind of a sad thing, not sad, but yes, sad. my roommate is moving um, to Cincinnati. So I'm very sad that she is doing that. We did sort of a going away-ish thing um, at our favorite sushi restaurant, Dragonfly in Gainesville. It's so good. And there's just something about soy sauce that really is, is important to me. I actually do this thing where before the sushi comes, I pour soy sauce and I just use the, the chopsticks to just dip and eat soy sauce. But the sushi was good too. I got a really good, um, I'm kind of basic. It's a California roll that has raw like tuna on it. It is, it is named different things. It is really good. And I got some pork pot stickers and it was just delightful. So yeah, I think we all had some good meals this week. This is like a pretty good week. I love how you temper temper your your taste palate, your 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 taste buds for the soy sauce. You're like, come on, you're like, war you're warming them up. You're like, hey, just let me let me just like warm them up there with a little I bit of. Really, just like I don't even sometimes break them apart. I just stick the two prongs <laughs> and then just I makes wasabi in the soy sauce ever. I just... do a little baby bit. Okay, because I really can't do spicy. Mm. And we then, like, I see other people wasabi. at the table, just like my dad will just scoop wasabi, like straight, straight to the face, not I. But yeah, y'all, these were some good meals. I'm, I feel inspired to go cook or get queso. Or to get one. queso. Or to get queso. Por qué no los dos? Well, y'all, thank you for sharing about what we ate this week. We are now going to transition into our rapid fire section, <laughs> where we all get to ask our each other. Some questions, and all these questions rain from goofy to serious, uh, but you know, nine times or 10 times out of 10 times, uh, they're normally kind of the goofy route, uh, except for that one episode where uh, someone asked me where I would dispose of a, of a body. That one probably was more on the serious. Uh, if you have not listened to our episode with Julie Owen, please check it out. Uh, thank you, Julie. Uh, Erica, you go first. Yes. So uh, if you listened to our episode last week, um, or one of our episodes last week, I had a rough week and was really just emotionally struggling. So I think some of mine today are, are rooted in gratefulness. So um, Agassi, what is something that you have felt really grateful or thankful for over the last few weeks? It can be small, it can be big, um, but what has just brought you immense joy or baby joy, tiny joy? Hmm, so what am I grateful for over the last couple of weeks? I have to, I have to, of course, shout out my partner, uh, who has been the most supportive. Uh, I, you know, we've we've been together now for almost two years, uh, and I recently this semester started a graduate program, which means that most of my weekends I'm now doing homework or my nights I'm doing homework, and he's really stepped up in terms of like making sure that apartment doesn't fall apart and making sure that little things are happening and surprising me with food and saying, hey, do you want to order in? You don't want to cook. Uh, he's not much of a cook, so <laughs> if I'm not cooking, he's going to offer to order in, which I'm down for. Uh, but I do have to say I'm very grateful for my partner, especially uh, having to be inside for most of the time. I'm glad that I get to be stuck inside with him. Uh, and our pups and our kit and our little kitty, too, but I'm very grateful for my partner. Oh, Carter, I'm going to send him this little clip. Because I feel like you're not going to tell him that you said any of these things. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Because I just, I head. need to, yeah, it'll go straight to his head and we don't need that. So 
we won't tell him about this. Um, if anything, I'll tell him that that question came up and I didn't talk about him. No, I'm totally kidding. I'll tell him about I'm this. I'm going to send him this clip. Okay. Thanks for your answer, Agassi. Carter, we love you. Carter, we do love you. So my question to Lauren, Lauren, obviously, as we, uh, as we talked about in your body, spends some time in India. I'm just curious, what do you miss the most about your time in India? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, well, I made amazing friends there. I mean, I'm such a, a people person, so I, I miss the people. I miss my colleagues at the schools that I worked with in Hyderabad. I miss um, the kids that I got to work with in a village near in Tamil Nadu where I worked too, so on a separate occasion. So yeah, I just, there are so many people that I wish I could just like apparate over there and see or, you know, bring to me or, um, and technology is great. Like getting to do the WhatsApp thing is nice, but it's just not the same as actually being there with folks. So definitely my friends. Hit right in the honey nut filios, very much. <laughs> and also, <laughs> I also, I also do have to say, very good use of the word apparate. I see you, oh. Harry Potter fan. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, okay, so then my question to Erica, and this is not to presume that you currently have one. It's more like in a world where you like want want one. What is your next tattoo? Oh my gosh, this is so great. Wow, I didn't, I don't know where I thought that question was going. This is not where it is, but I'm glad that we're here. I have no tattoos and I, uh, about a year and a half ago, went to visit Agassiz in Charlotte, or we went to Charlotte and we were like halfway through a brewery tour and like, let's get tattoos. We did not, we like FaceTimed my parents. We're like, let's do this. Anyway, so I would like on my is this my forearm? Yes. Yeah. I would like the outline of um, Cuba. Um, so my family is Cuban. Um, I've never been, Agassi and I both talked about taking a friendship trip together because I, I really feel that I won't be whole until I've, I've seen the place where my parents grow up and um, meet family that I've, I've never met. But I just want the outline. I just, and I don't know which way I want it to face. Um, I sort of want the top to face me so that, you know, it's, I think, always with me um because it's really really significant to who i am so that's tattoo number one if anyone wants to go with me let's go agassiz down we can do it i feel like we're new friends but i want to see like the follow-up like when it happens yes yeah we'll we'll post it so you can see okay i like and i also think that this is like a pretty good location like i could hide it if i need to i don't believe you should ever hide your tattoos because um who says a tattoo isn't professional anyway but yeah i'm excited for it it might hurt though but Agassiz is going to do it with me. I, I am. I am going to do that. I am going to do that. Definitely. Um, as we know, the, the best time to talk about getting tattoos is probably right after a brewery tour. Um, that's probably the, <laughs> the best time to make decisions, permanent decisions Always. about our lives. <laughs> Always. So now back to you, Lauren. So clearly you have had some life adventures, which I think is really, really like my favorite thing about humans is like hearing what they've done. Um, so what, you know, pending COVID and, you know, the world being in a better place, what is next on your bucket list? And that doesn't necessarily need to be travel related, but what is that thing that you're like, oh, yep, I'm, I'm going to do that? No, it's totally travel related. I mean, uh, so my 
My next thing is definitely um, my husband is Bosnian. Um, his family came over as refugees in the 90s to the US and I am just itching to go and visit um, his homeland with him. So I, I've never been to the Balkan region. That's That's been on my bucket list for a long time, but especially to go with someone who, like I now have family over there, which is really, you know, exciting. And um, so to get to see part of what made him the incredible person he is, I can't wait to, to check that out. I love that. <laughs> wow, we're really on the like, I think this is like a very like human and like, like, man, I don't know what else to say, just human centric um, rapid fire <laughs> that I'm really liking. Very human centric. I think it will lead very well into our conversation later when we talk about I caring think it for will. students. Yeah, it, we definitely that's, that's we what, intentionally did this. This is the this is the equivalent of like when you dip your your chopsticks into soy sauce and just like put the this that's what it is. We're tempering it, our taste buds for this conversation. <laughs> well, I loved your your tattoo answer, and I honestly thought that could go a lot of different directions. Like I thought you might go like really funny with it, but I love that you were vulnerable and talked about your you know, your own identity and stuff. I really appreciate that. Um, so that was my like fun one, quote unquote. But I am curious, Agassi, what, since we're talking about care, what is your self-care standby? My self-care. So I, I really love, I love cartoons and sitcoms. I think that is some way that I can just sit back and I think just almost not think for a little while. I feel like in our, in our realm of work, we're solving problems, we're like, you know, figuring things out, we're like organizing thoughts and like writing things and we're looking at research and trying to integrate it and all these, all these like really, I think, cognitive heavy things in my life. So I love nothing more than to be on my couch and watch an episode of The Simpsons or Bob's Burgers. I'm a big animated fan just because you know, they're funny, they're kind, they're kind of smart in their humor, but like, I don't have to think too deeply. I, my partner really likes documentaries and I do enjoy them from time to time. But after a long day at work, it's like, I just need to put on a cartoon or a sitcom because I need to laugh, especially with the state of the world. Uh, Parks and Rec is one of my favorite uh, sitcoms of all time. Uh, so it's just anything where I could sit back and just kind of like decompress for a little while in terms of the TV, I would say that's one of my biggest elements of self-care. Love it. I love that, Agassi. And then my our last question of the round, and this is for Erica. Erica. Yes. Hi. What is what is one topic you could talk about forever? It is the fact that Disneyland is a superior park to Disney World in every way except for dining. But actually, just it, it is better in every way, including um, quick service. Fine dining, not as much. I um, mean, I will talk about that forever and I will um, die on that hill. And if you disagree with me, we need to have a conversation because you are wrong. That is my answer. We, <laughs> okay, I, I should have. I forget which one is, I forget which one's where. Yeah, it's such a great, such a great question. Many of our, many of our listeners probably don't know. Walt Disney World is in Orlando, Florida and Disneyland is in Anaheim, California. I could, I could go on for a long time right now, but I wanted to keep it rapid because I have so many thoughts. Erica does have a lot of thoughts. As someone who's been on the receiving end of those thoughts, uh, I also just use this question portion really as an opportunity to see how well I can predict what Erica is going to talk about. And the <laughs> fact that I was pretty sure she was either going to go Glossier, musicals, or Disney, 
I'm I'm glad that I I was like there she is she's holding it up there you go Me hold it up to the camera chapstick. hold it up to the camera oh we've got a lot of influencers <gasps> stop right now is that um the gen no what is it called generation something the lipstick probably yeah I love it oh my god yeah they've got great lipsticks and yes. they're matte they're not drying yes Glossier sponsor me tint light tint I also have a baby chapstick. Erica has an entire corner of her office where she has like a mirror, a Glossier mirror, her products. Oh, cloud paint. Cloud paint. <laughs> okay, we're done. I'm sorry. Definitely. We're going we're gonna to move forward. Thank you, everybody, for our not-so-rapid-fire question section or rapid-fire conversation section. Uh, now we get to transition into our next favorite game. Name that Scott's Scott. <laughs> I think we're getting better. I really do. Every time we do that, I think we get a little bit better with like the, the cord. Um, I've heard back to our episodes, they don't sound horrible. So like, at least they don't, they're not horrible. But for our listeners at home, we are now gonna play our Name That Scott game. So of course, this is where I get to ask Erica and our guests to correctly identify institutions based off of their mascots or a mascot based off of the institution. Important to note is that all of these institutions that we do discuss are in the Saxa region. And in honor of our guest today, all of the institutions we'll be talking about are in the state of Tennessee. I'm not going to do well. Erica's track record is not very good. Uh, I'm going to do terribly because I thought we were going to do Georgia. So, Matt, <laughs> <laughs> cut you off. You studied Georgia. <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> it's okay look now even playing field but you know if if the track record shows anything more likely than not our guest always does better than erica yeah i, I, I just to say there we go there we go i i think i think we're this is gonna be a fun time here we go okay so for this first institution what is the mascot's name for the university of tennessee it's a dog is, is the name Volley? They're the Vols. They're the volunteers. They are the volunteers. They are the Vols. So the it dog is not Volley. It's not Volley. <laughs> Seems sus. Is it, is it a dog? There is, is a dog. They do have a dog mascot. They have a, a live dog, and they also have a dog, <clears throat> like, suit. So they also, they have a live dog and a, a, like a, you know, a, a suit dog, like a mascot, but the name of the mascot is Rocky? Smokey. Smokey. Oh. You were, yes. You were and they're closer are actually, than I was with Volley. They are very much closer. See, you know, track record. Uh, Smokey, the 10th, that, that's where we're, they're at. They're at number 10 at the currently. Uh, when I first read, I said Smokey X. That's an interesting <laughs> name. And then I saw that well, there was also... X. Smoky IX, Smoky 2X. I was like, oh, it's Smoky 10. Okay, here we go. Smoky 2X. So, <laughs> so Smoky, the mascot for the University of Tennessee, or they're otherwise known as Vols or Volunteers. The University of Tennessee was established in 1794 before Tennessee was actually a state as part of the United States of America. Um, this institution is in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it is a public research institution. 1794? Set, set, 1794. Okay, Hamilton. <laughs> next up, <laughs> next up, we have Aristocat the Tiger. Aristocat. Is it Oh, nope. Is it, is it Middle Tennessee? It's not Middle Tennessee. 
Is that a, is that a school? Was that a shot in the dark? It is a school. It is a fully a shot in the dark. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> is it is it Austin P State University? Nope. It is okay. not. Let's guessing schools in Tennessee. So Aristocat the Tiger is the mascot for Tennessee State University. Uh, so Tennessee State University was established in 1912 in Nashville, Tennessee. It is the only state-funded public historically black institution in Tennessee. Well, I'm ashamed. Lots of, lots of like regretful nods from our guest and Erica at the moment. Yikes. Well, thanks for playing y'all. Uh, we now get to transition into our conversation section. So, of course, we're going to... And gonna, here, we all here win. We, here we go. We do all win because the, the real winner is knowledge. Or the real prize... The real prize is knowledge. The we real are prize the winners. I have to, like, winners. identify the, the players and the, you know, all that stuff. Understood. <laughs> well, Lauren, can you just start off really quickly uh, and provide us an overview of what you currently do in your role? Yeah, I'd love to. I have a terrible elevator spiel for what I do. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier and it is so hard to wrap up quickly what I do, but I think that the best way to describe it is I serve as a liaison between our housing and residential experience team and all of our student care offices. And so at Vanderbilt, we have a network of offices that all focus on student care and um, ResX is our, <laughs> our shorthand. ResX um, is sort of an integral part of a lot of that care follow-up piece. Our staff often are front lines because they live on campus. They supervise staffs of you know, student staff and, and graduate students. So um, my role is partially to kind of help structure what student follow-up looks like and care looks like to make sure our staff are trained um, and to work with our care partners to make sure that you know we are getting students to the resources that they need um, in a timely fashion and meeting the needs that each individual student sort of has um, is coming with has come to the table with. So beyond that also that was a great elevator speech. Okay. Great. Say. That was very good. That was that was great. 10 out of 10. How do you see some of this and what this, this could be, how your work has changed or maybe the needs of students have changed during COVID times? Yeah, it, it has changed so, so much. Um, the position, this, my particular position at Vanderbilt, and you know, we're, we're very interested in what other schools are doing um, around student care because student mental health has been, I think, a huge topic of conversation just across the field for all schools. And you know what we have found, uh, I lead a committee, um, a care response committee, and we sort of do some benchmarking with other, other institutions. Um, we look, we take some in, an internal look at our practices and try and make some shifts um, to, to focus on best practices in the field. But I think that especially in, you know, whether you're in, we, you know, we call it ResX in our area, but people call it ResLife or ResEd, um, I think there is a lot more responsibility put on our staff to really address mental health concerns. And um, I was, you know, I have only been in this role for about two years and last, so last year being my first. 
And last year was was kind of the like get up and get going to understand like what are the needs of our students, what are the needs of my staff, like what 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 do they need more of to be able to do their jobs well? And it's like we just hit a stride and then global pandemic. And um, so I think that I mean one of the obvious big shifts this year is Vanderbilt is a is a hands-on institution. We do a lot of in-person follow-up where we are trying to ha hold, you know, an in-person conversation with students. Our staff walk them to our urgent care um, when there's a serious mental health concern. And all of that in-person response has totally shifted, which, you know, is, is for the safety of our students, you know, the physical safety of our students and our staff. But, oh, that makes it so hard to get in touch with students and to really have that connection. I mean, our staff do an amazing job of actually making connections with students that then if that same student struggles later, we can call upon that staff member to say, hey, you actually built a really good relationship with this student. You know, can you reach out? Well, for some of our students, especially our first year students, they're not getting that in-person kind of, um, you know, relationship building piece they're getting that over email maybe or a phone call, but it's just not quite the same. So we're having to do a lot of working around how to get students connected to resources um, when we can't, you know, we have to be more, a lot more cautious with in-person follow-up. Um, and then also at Vanderbilt and some schools, again, we're all kind of handling this differently, but um, we have a lot of students who have moved off campus. We have, you know, a portion of our students who are working remotely. Um, and so that, that distanced follow-up looks so different too. And our care offices have taken the bulk of that. So really, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is figure out where I can sort of take some of the burden off of my colleagues in the care offices for some of this follow-up because so much has been placed on them with all of this distanced learning. And I mean, yes to every, everything you're saying. And my role is, is sort of care adjacent. We have like a, a smaller student population, but that everything you're saying is what we're doing. And you're so right. Like I don't, there's not a replacement for human connection. And we meet with all of our incoming students via Zoom. Typically it's in person. And it is, I mean, even for name recognition, I feel like I don't, like I used to be able to, see their names like okay I know who this is or I can see their face and even that feels so affected and yes zoom has like I don't know what we would be doing without zoom and also it is so hard to see a student cry for zoom it is or to hear them on the phone and be like I can't do the things that I would like to do for you I can't support you in the same way and that's been so tough Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think a lot of people are seeing that, but I think, you know, you and I as like sort of direct support people, I don't know if that's the right term, that's been something that is, I don't know, irreplaceable is, I just, I feel like I've been really struggling with that and how to best support students and not have them, you know, three feet from me in my office and handing them tissues. Yeah, you know, isolation is a problem just anyway, a lot of times on college campuses. I think, you know, that is a huge, going to college, especially if you are at a, you know, a residential 
um, school that's residential, you are moving away from home. You have, as, as a first year student, you're, you're struggling to make friends, to figure out your classes, to understand how this new place you know, works. Not to mention, of course, you know, all of the different experiences our students come in with. And so in their own sort of cultural competency around what they have access to even. And to then be thrown into this environment after, you know, by the way, they didn't get their graduation, they didn't get any of their senior year stuff. And then now here we are. And, you know, it, it is it is such a challenge for them. And I and I totally understand. I mean, it has been and I'd be interested in how y'all are feeling too. I mean, for staff, I know it has been just the most challenging semester of our careers, you know, probably um, maybe besides the end of spring semester of 2020. But um, this semester has just been so difficult because we understand, we are just, I think, as frustrated as our students are. Um, and to listen to some of the feedback about how isolated they're feeling is heartbreaking and you just, you want to fix it. And I think that um, that's one of the most difficult things is that it, it just, it's really unfixable right now. We're, we're just trying to figure out how to keep our students safe and to make sure that we can do everything in our power to get them connected to mental health resources while knowing that it's the long game. You know, it really is about their entire four-year experience and it's really just trying to get them through and yes meet their needs now but it but it's going to be much longer than just you know one meeting with a student it's again it's building that relationship yeah i definitely hear what you're saying uh you know it's i i've had a, a number of conversations with with colleagues and friends about you know in in trying to in some ways replicate what was the traditional experience you know what are we putting some of our staff members through and I've, I've talked to a couple of folks about that. And, and that's, I, I wanna say that not as a, we should try to figure out how to best make sure that we have similar outcomes, but also understand it's like, okay, like on both sides of the aisle here, you have people. You know, I've seen, I've seen colleagues who are at their wit's end because they're trying to, you know, it's trying to plan a program. Okay, that program can't happen anymore. And I, I think we've gotten into somewhat of a place where things have stabilized and they're like, you know, we're not like, absolutely pivoting programs 180 degrees or canceling anything because now it's like, okay, this is kind of where we're at. This is how we're going to move forward. But I have definitely seen colleagues who are stressed out. I mean, I know I've definitely been stressed out and I know Eric has been on the receiving end of quite a number of conversations because it's, it's, there's, it's almost, there's not, I think the difficult part is that you want to be able to say, I, I'm angry at this X thing, but there's just so many X things. You have like a whole alphabet of things at a certain point. You're like, okay, what can I do about it? Um, and for students, you know, I'm, I'm thankful I get to interact with a number of students regularly who I advise directly. And then here and there, I interact with student organization leaders who are reaching out and want to talk about things. And every time that I do end up with a, a student that I have a conversation with, and I do see that we have conversations about what they're going through and how they're feeling, I often think about, okay, what about those other students who are not talking to other people who are, you know, those almost like the silent, the, the students who are silent right now, the students who are, who are not engaged, who are not in student organizations, who are not talking to staff members, who are not talking to their peers. And namely, as you, as you were already talking about, it's the first year students, because it is, it is, it's a long game. It is because it's not just, oh, they're going to have a rough first semester and then they'll bounce back. It's, 
Well, from what we know about student development theory, that first semester means a lot. And it's going to dictate what's going to happen for the next couple of years, too. So, like, if students are having this absolutely rough experience and, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we can say, you know, it's, there's only so much an institution can do. There's only so much we can offer at times because there's a reality of, like, there's a global pandemic that is in many ways dictating what we're able to do or not to do. Um, but, again, it's what do we value most? And a lot of times is we value their health and safety the most. So, unfortunately, we do have to take these routes. But that I think is what's difficult because you're right, like I have Zoom meetings with students and I know this sounds silly, but I've definitely talked about this in the space of I'm often wonder how tall is the student that I'm, work, I'm, I'm working with? Because I, you know, I can see this person, I can interact with them, but then I'm like, okay, if I saw them on the street, would I recognize them? Because you're right, Erica, like it's not the same as when you have someone sitting in front of you in an office. And I've met so many people over the last six months that I've ever met in my life over Zoom and I'm like, how tall is this person? I'm like, this person's at least like six foot. And I'm like, you know, doing all the, the little games in my head trying to figure it out. And I know it sounds silly, but it just, it makes me think, okay, again, if I bumped into this person in the street, am I going to feel bad because I didn't recognize them because I've never seen this person in, in real life. I have colleagues that I haven't seen since the beginning of March, like in my own office. Um, but it's definitely hard, you know, on the staff side. Yeah. I, I was thinking as you were talking about that too, about our, you know, the challenge that we placed, I think, on student staff and they have just been heroic, I think, in how they've, how they've adapted um, at Vanderbilt. But I, one of the things that I, I think we're missing is we just don't have, students aren't able to gather, you know, the way that they used to because of, of course, as you said, we care about health and safety and we need to make that a priority right now. Um, but some of that sort of informal, some of those informal conversations and some of the gathering, um, that might have then prompted a peer to provide some advice or for an RA to be able to slip in to, you know, give a student some direction is not as easy to do. I mean, RAs at Vanderbilt um, engage in something called meaningful conversations. And so they have intentional reach outs to students to have these meaningful conversations, which are not intended to be care focused per se. It's more that relationship building piece but sometimes something care related comes out. Um, but it's a lot harder to do that virtually, you know? And just the other, I mean, just this week, so I was following up with students who have multiple deficiencies. And I was calling to check in with those students to, to make sure, hey, are you connected to your academic dean? Can I help you get connected? You know, here's, who, here's what you need to do. Um, and this sweet first year, was just completely flummoxed on how to access her grades, how to, she was too scared to, to reach out to her professor. And, you know, I think faculty in general are super open at Vanderbilt to having, you know, that student faculty relationship and that conversation. But as a first year student, she was just so scared about starting that relationship and didn't know, and, and, and literally she was on the verge of just, Kind of putting her hands in her ears and being like la 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 i don't know you know i don't know what to do next and that's the type of student that we're we're missing you know like it and there that was an act, a conversation that i actively had but there are so many of those that i don't or that our staff aren't able to get to so like you said agassi like who who is not speaking up and who is just hoping this is all going to go away at some point and they can you know get on with their college career but in the meantime is sacrificing some important developmental steps in this sort of introduction to college. Um, that's a, I think that's a huge challenge right now. 
you know, even as you were talking, oh, sorry. <laughs> this is the, uh, the issue. This is right. One of the zoom things that's so hard is that natural flow and conversation is affected. Um, but it, I don't even know that like, what, it, what is the solution in some ways? I think we, as, as a profession, I won't say more than any other profession, but we've been so innovative and have, I mean, pivoted and pivoted. And one thing that I, you know, I've thought about a lot is how institutions of higher education, I think, were tasked with the hardest part, especially in preparing whether or not institutions have students coming back, because nowhere else do you really have this, everyone's gone and then everyone comes back from all over, right? If you work at a bank in a town, you all live in that town, you go to the bank, it's, it's you know, the same community. But here we've got all these different people. And so you're just, that's just to say that the people who were making choices about reopening, I would never want to be on that team. But I, I mean, I have been telling my students, I told, you know, my graduate student this and some of my students that I work with that I, like, I'm operating at 70%. I, and I, but I feel like we are being asked to think like we're at 150. And we're being asked to do so much work in our students too, like, your first semester of college, I always say it's like a three credit class, just transitioning. You're doing it online. You might be learning from home. My students are all first gen, so they're learning with limited resources sometimes. And then, hey, I hope you're doing okay, right? How, if you had, if this had been my freshman year, my first year of college, I truly, I don't know that I would have been able to do it. And there's not a question in that. There's not an answer. I just, it's really hard. <laughs> and I like don't, sometimes it just, it feels like it's not, it's never ending and we're just gonna sometime figure it out, but it's not, I don't know. It's just a lot. And you know, uh, something, something you were talking about, Lauren, really resonated. Uh, the, the, the idea of like spontaneous interactions is like at the core of what I feel like we're missing right now. It's, you know, those, you, you're walking out of class and you're like, hey, like you want to chat or like you hang behind a class and you talk with a professor or you get to class early and you're like talking with a professor. I feel like at, almost like at the, I guess the beginning of the conversion and the switch over into Zoom and these online meetings, like you had a lot more people who were like, oh, I'm going to log onto the Zoom call five minutes early and I'm going to like chit chat before we talk about official business. And then I think as time went on, it's more like people saying, okay, I'm going to log in a couple minutes after the Zoom call starts. So then we don't have to do the casual conversations because I don't want to talk because I'm just overwhelmed. I, like I've talked to a couple of people who, who were on the, the, you know, the, the, the former and are now on the latter side of that conversation. And I think it's the same for students where, you know, as I mentioned before, I recently, recently started a, a graduate program part-time and something we were talking about very casually in our group, me, we were like, hey, like we haven't had like just a hangout. Like we haven't just like hung out, like put up a Zoom room and just like talk to each other. Every single time that we've interacted has been because of an official reason, because either we had orientation, we have class, we're meeting to talk about projects. We don't have the, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, we get to know each other as people, but like realistically, like we know each other as people in the context of like an academic course. We're obviously like, you're gonna get to know me and I know graduate courses are a little different than undergraduate courses, but for undergraduate courses, by and large, many of those courses are just lecture style. Unlike the graduate courses that are, at least we're like talking in, in, a, in a broader sense or having a, a discussion with a, a smaller group of people. I mean, I've seen screenshots of Zoom calls that are, you know, 
50 plus people deep. You're not casually chatting with people in a 50 in a 50 person class on a Zoom, especially. You wouldn't do it in a normal sense unless, like I said, you got there earlier or kind of trailing a little bit behind. But the spontaneous interactions are definitely what's missing. You don't get the, hey, let me ask you a quick question anymore. It's like, hey, can I schedule a 30 minute meeting with you because I have XYZ questions? You know, what is what is intrusive at this point when people are at home? Like, when do you know you can reach out? When can you ask for help? Because it's like, well, I don't, I don't want to bother you and I don't want to set up this entire meeting. That sounds too formal. You know, where's the middle ground? And again, for first year students, they're still trying to figure it out. They're still trying to learn how to email professors. You know, our older students have some kind of a, you know, wherewithal about like where they're standing and, you know, how to somewhat navigate. But our first year students are like, I'm literally new to this entire experience and the newness of just the online experience which faculty are also experiencing. Yeah, and I think what you both just said, like shout out to our students and staff resilience. I think that this generation, the incoming generation um, has, there's been a lot of conversations I think about the concept of resilience. And if anything shows that they can, they can hang in there, it is this semester, you know, it's, it's, it's spring 2020 and, and this fall 2020, like it has been, I've just really appreciated, uh, as you said, Erica, like I can't imagine being a first year right now. Like I can't imagine what that would have been like or what that would be like um, looking back on my own undergraduate experience. And so I just want to say, I think that sometimes the incoming generation gets some flack about resilience and I just have been really, you know, blown away by They're that. They're amazing. Yeah. And our- They've and, experienced so much. Yeah. And staff too. And you know, one thing, Erica, you had mentioned solutions, which is, you know, it's such a tough thing because as we talked about before, the long, with this concept of the long game, I think people want there to be an answer. I want there to be a solution. Um, and as you said, there's not really, you were kind of given like this rhetorical question, right? There's not this like one answer. But if I could, um, as a, an elder millennial, <laughs> like as a season, a little bit of a seasoned mid-level person, um, I think that it is important to A, bring your ideas to, if you're a young professional, absolutely bring your questions, your, you know, I, I believe in critical thinking and criticisms. Like, so bring your constructive criticisms to the table, um, but it is always helpful to come with some ideas of some solutions as well um, when you're bringing the questions and the critiques to the table. And, and this is important for mid-level professionals too, suppress a desire to be defensive because I've had to do that a lot where I think that people just need to be listened to. They really want to be heard. And so I know for me, when I have staff that are struggling, um, it is so important for me just to sit and listen to what their experience is and to not come back with, okay, but A, B, C, and D, or but, but like, okay, but we're doing that. Or, you know, and, and just to really hear them and do my best to like understand that deeper need of what they're asking for. Um, and that's what I, the only solution, quote unquote, that I see in any of this is to go back to that focus on need and look at, okay, what is this individual student's needs? And then what does our community need? Like what, what is our community saying um, that is missing here? And I would have said for Vanderbilt, I would have said, I would have loved to focus pre-COVID on the sense of belonging 
Um, and now that we're in COVID, I, that has even shifted, you know, um, now we're, now we're like back to basics kind of. So not that you asked for like a young professional advice <laughs> column. No, but... no, we love it. Thank you so much for it. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing, well, the other thing I was going to add as, as a young professional is, um, and again, I said, I'm working at 70% capacity and it's taken me a long time to be like giving myself grace. And I know that we keep saying that, but, but like you said, the, we're back to basics. Things have shifted. So if there are programs that drop, what we can't drop is students. That's, that is the one thing. We cannot stop supporting students. But if you need to take that day, like you can't pour from an empty bucket. So, you know, talk about your needs, talk about what's going on. I always, you know, lead with vulnerability. I'm like, I'm really struggling. And if you, like, I took a few days off right around my birthday just to not do anything, just literally be away from work. So if you need to go with your friends, paint some gourds, got it, Agassiz, pew, 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 but just go do something that makes you happy. Um, the work will still be here, but you, you might not be if you continue to burn the candle at both ends. And I think that that is something that new professionals constantly want to do. We want to prove ourselves. Yes. And you get to be a mid-level professional by still being in the field and not feeling burnt out. So care for yourself as you care for students and take those lessons um, that you give them seriously. And honestly, I know in my interactions with students, I, I, I found that one of some of my best interactions with students is where I think I level with them. I really do. And they, they share things and I'm like, that sucks. Like that real, that's just not great. And I'm like, I'm also kind of struggling. And I think, Again, we've talked about this on the pod before, but sometimes I think with students, it's, they don't, not that they don't see us as people, but I think they see us in these positions of authority or power at times. So they're like, oh, this is the person who like, ha, you know, is, has the access to the things that I need right now. And then when you're like, yeah, I'm also kind of struggling. Yeah, I kind of cried the other day. And they're like, you cry? I'm like, yeah, you know, and I also do a bunch of other things that human, other humans do. But it just, again, it's those moments where I think you push past the idea that like, I don't, you know, I'm not in a higher rung than you. I just happen to be in this role where obviously I, I do X, Y, Z things, but at the end of the day, like I'm also a person navigating what is happening at the moment. So like, if you want to talk about how everything sucks, let's talk about it because I got, I got a laundry list of things. And, you know, I know Lauren, you were just talking about like, sometimes it's just about, you know, sitting and listening. And I, you know, something that Eric is really good about in our relationship is when I bring um, issues or challenges to her, her sometimes responses okay, are you looking for a solution or are you looking to vent? And I think that's also important to differentiate because again, sometimes students are sharing things like, yeah, maybe you don't have the authority, the power to actually influence a, a direct change in what's happening, but you could be like, wow, that does suck. Like, I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, and just, again, it's just being empathetic to the fact that like, we have a lot of people who are going through a lot right now, staff and students, because again, like, I, sometimes I, I wonder, or not I wonder, I, I know sometimes students are like, oh my gosh, you're people too. It's like, yeah, you wanna be a student affairs professional, it's a lot of fun. Uh, hashtag uh, careers in student affairs month, right? We're in October, yes we are. Also side note, Erica, very proud of you. Third time's a charm, oh my goodness, that was so good. Oh my, oh my goodness. I love it. Can I just, but I know we're like low on time. I just want to say uh, like um, in honor of self-care that I, one of the challenges that I have with this concept of self-care is that we're putting pressure on ourselves and on our students to determine, like to do it for themselves complete. And that's the only option. Like, you know, and it's, I, I think it's just a, 
like a crutch sometimes that we lean on where we say, okay, but self-care, like, get, you know, get what's, and I asked that question obviously earlier. So hello, I'm part of that. But I want to make a point that care for self is not only about an immediate thing, like watching a TV show that you need to, you know, where you need to zoom out for a little bit. Um, and it's not only as I think we all sort of know from our own work in this field, it's not only the self-care work of um, setting yourself up for success in the long term, which is really what true self-care is about, but it is also things that are outside of your control. And this is what I want students and, and honestly professionals to understand too, that it is about community care and it is about systemic care. So at a community level, like what are you part of that? And this is, goes for students and this goes for professionals too. And our, our staff has had a lot of conversations around this. We are part of a community of care. And so we can make change at that level. What we're not, you know, at, what it's harder to make a change at is at a systemic level. And that's both like institutionally, that is obviously like globally and, and in our society. So, but it doesn't mean that we still can't make efforts to try and seek change, you know, and, and to make change where we can. So I just want to say, like, I feel like a lot of, a lot of times self-care is used as this, like, okay, but how are you doing your own self-care? Well, sometimes that is out, out of your control and, you know, like other, we need to think about as professionals, how we contribute to a community of care and how we're affecting systemic care as well. And I think for those of you who are supervisors, whether it be students or you know, staff or graduate assistants, we cannot say, hey, take some time for yourself and continue to pile on work. Those two things are connected in some ways. And yes, you know, things need to be done. And also that is, that is an opposition in some ways if I'm like, you need to take time. But I also need to add more projects to your list. And that's, that's sort of what I meant when I said we, some things need to drop because now more than ever people are at their level and we keep, and it's harder to do things virtually. So some things have to stop or else like then, then, then what is the point of even talking about self-care if I don't have the time to practice those things because of the, you know, it, it's all connected. So that's Lauren, thank you for saying that new professionals, graduate assistants, assistance and everyone just listen to that because it's so true. And that is a wonderful place to wrap up our conversation. Uh, we is. love community care. Self-care does not have to be you isolating yourself in an apartment for a couple of days. It is about, you know, using your community and tapping into those resources. And thank y'all for being a part of my community. Well, folks, thanks to everybody for joining us for the first five years presented by SAXA. Thank you to Lauren for being here today. We loved having you. As always, thank you to Miles and Erica Lee for producing our episodes. If you want to know more about SAXA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, they are on all the things, facebook.com backslash SAXA fan page, Twitter at SAXA tweets, and Instagram at SAXAgrams. Lauren, where are you on social media if people want to find you? Yeah, they can find me on um, LinkedIn. I think I'm on all the on all the socials. You can look me up, but um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can email me at lauren.moon@vanderbilt.edu. Um, happy to take some questions or emails. And I just want to say I so appreciate this conversation. It is refreshing to actually get to pull back and focus on some 
larger questions and, and have conversations like this. So we're so in the weeds, we're so in crisis response. Uh, it's so good to take a step back. So thanks to you both and to Miles. And thank you for coming in with all of that because we, you know, our conversations are only as good as what is brought and I, and I'm glad to have been able to pull back with you. What a good one today. Agassi, where are you on the social? You can find me on Twitter at Agassi, that's A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. And Erica, what about you? You can find me at Erica M underscore Aguiar, that's A-G-U-I-A-R. We are so happy to have had this conversation. When we say take care of yourselves today, we really mean that. Um, advocate for yourself, ask the good questions, bring up critical feedback, and know that we are, we are here to listen if you ever need it, all of our sweet baby angel friends and listeners. Hit us up, y'all. We're always happy to chat. Um, I'm always welcome to expand our community of care. And th all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye.